0: You're listening to Sweet Talk, All Things Maple. I'm Aaron Whiteman, the co
1: director of the Cornell Maple Program. And joining me today is Adam Wild, the director of the E Line Maple Research Forest in Lake Placid, New York. Hi, Adam. Hey, Aaron. So, Adam, this week I thought we'd change gears a little bit. And instead of talking about a technical topic, I want to talk a little bit about our workforce. So, it's no secret that the maple industry has an aging workforce, right? The generation that gave us this era of massive growth through the 90s and 2000s, they're really approaching retirement age in general.
0: Yeah, that's definitely true. And it's important that we bring in that new workforce to keep the maple industry moving forward. Yeah, so in thinking about that,
1: for this episode, I sought out two young sugar makers to check in on the status of the next generation of maple producers. All right, sounds great. Welcome to Sweet Talk, Damian. Thank you, I'm happy to be here. So Damian, you're well known in some parts of the maple industry, but can you go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your family business?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Damian Hill. I currently reside in Harpersfield, New York. My family, we own a, a small maple syrup, and maple value-added product business, as well as a maple equipment business where we are open year-round 365 days a year. We're fully involved in the state association as well as other sugar makers who are not a part of the association. I recently just graduated from Cornell University in December with a bachelor's in applied economics and management.
1: So Damien, you say a small maple business. Can you you qualify that statement a little bit?
2: Yeah. So the reason why I refer to our business as small is we're not completely to our capacity yet. We currently are boiling from about 12,000 taps. And we currently are marketing over 7,000 gallons of syrup. But I see that in the near future that our business is going to have the opportunity to expand and grow in all aspects. And that's because of the workforce that we have here at home, but also for the opportunities that the market is opening.
1: So small by that standard, but really a fairly large maple operation compared to many in the industry.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's definitely not a hobby farm. We fully support three families here, and like I said, we're open every day of the week, and we offer quite a network and a support base for probably over two to three hundred sugar makers in the area.
1: yeah, that's pretty substantial, and that's impressive. So we appreciate at Cornell doing business with you, and I should state for our listeners that Shaver Hill Farms has actually been a helpful equipment dealer in setting up our new sugar house.
2: yeah, absolutely, and that was a that was a, a unique transition going from being a student and a peer worker, along with you, and as well as Steve Childs, and then being a, a sales representative for you guys as well.
1: Yeah, it's been an, an interesting process, and we're, we're really appreciative to have you along and assisting with that. So, for you personally, you say you recently graduated from Cornell. How long have you been involved with the Maple business?
2: Right. So, as young as I could be from the beginning, I was here at home, some shape, way, or form involved in the Maple business. I always remember when I was really little, probably one of the first things I had to do was count the little maple drops and put 20 in a bag or I was making drop lines for us to install the following season. And then I, as I got older, I was able to go out in the woods and follow my dad or my uncle in the woods. And then that slowly transitioned into more responsibility all the way up to now where I'm a part of management decisions and helping guide our business in the right direction.
1: Did you ever carry buckets as a young child or did you not have buckets in your operation?
2: I can honestly say we never had buckets from the time that I've been here on the farm. So I'm probably one of the, the next generation of sugar makers that will probably never carry staff buckets.
1: Ah, That's interesting. I, I point that out as, as a demarcation between the generations for sure. When I was a a little boy, one of the first memories I have of the sugar bush is carrying those buckets and trying not to slip in the snow and spill the sap.
2: Right, right. Yeah, no, for me, even, even as a little guy, we were still running tubing. We had some gravity systems, but even then they were all on sap line and we would ride in the truck around with a thousand gallon tank, picking up all the little stops.
1: Wow. Well, that's, that's still fun to be out in the woods, right? As a young lad helping with the, the maple business.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: So I'm going to embarrass you a little bit, Damien. You have an Ivy League degree in business. You're highly intelligent. You could do anything you want with your life. You could be on Wall Street. You could be out in Silicon Valley. Why are you staying in the maple industry?
2: Yeah, um, that, like you said, that kind of calls me out a little bit. I think the biggest reason was home has always had a special place in my heart. It's taught me everything that I know. Uh, it's the reason why I had the opportunity to go to Cornell. And there was a lot of times where my outside experience is what helped me get through Cornell. So what I decided was with quite a bit of information and networking that it's not so much where we are right now with the maple business, but it's where the maple industry is going to be moving forward. And since I've been home, it's not been a full year yet. I've already seen the positive impact that I've made here at home, as well as in other parts of the industry. And I really think that that trajectory is going to continue. So I think short term, I might be a little bit behind my peers, but I think in the long run, I'm going to be right along with them, if not farther ahead. Every day is a new adventure. You get to wake up, get to decide what you're going to do, and then you roll the plan out and you follow through. There's not many people who one day you're in the office, the next day you're in the sugar bush, and the next day you're you know, delivering you know an evaporator to the r forest, which is two hours away. Um, it's pretty dynamic. And fortunately for me, my family has invited me into ownership with the company, which has also been a huge incentive and allowed me to take a more of a managerial role in the business, not just as a, a workhorse.
1: Yeah, I'm hearing two different strains here in what you're saying. And one is a attachment to place and quality of life. And the other is that you see real opportunity in the maple business. And I want to drill down just briefly on both of those. You've mentioned some things about kind of the the shape of work in the maple industry and how interesting it is, maybe compared to other opportunities in business. Can you say a little bit more about that, what you enjoy about working in the maple industry?
2: Yeah, the thing that I love the most is the people that I get to work with, whether it's the, the consumers who are coming in who truly value pure maple products, as well as our equipment customers who they're out there with the same passion. And they just want to go out there and make maple syrup, whether it's to teach their grandkids, you know, how the process works, or if it's to, you know, share good times with their neighbors, or if it's to be more of a profit-driven style business model. It's really kind of interesting to see and learn about everybody's story and how they got there. But also for the consumers, they really respect and want to learn more about your hard work and why maple syrup is what it is. And many are very impressed with what you can do with maple syrup. That right there is a big part of it. But not only that, every day I get to come and I get to work with my dad and my uncle, two very important role models in my life who have given me everything that they can and all the lessons that they've learned. And before that, we lost my grandfather this year with him. He did the same. He took me under his wing and was happy to share every bit of knowledge that he could. And one thing that I'm thankful for was that as a little guy and a young sugar maker, I was able to absorb everything.
1: Yeah, that's something that's really unique and I think wonderful about the maple industry is that it's steeped in tradition and family and community, and that extends beyond just our individual businesses, right? I mean, we all have connections to the larger industry, and it's kind of like a great big family.
2: Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I know before here, we were talking about how there's not too many of us young sugar makers around. And... It's very saddening to me, and I think part of it's the, the cost of the barrier to entry into the market, but I think also, too, that not enough people know about it and what unique opportunities it presents.
1: Yeah, that, that's true, and I guess that, that opens the door to a few other questions that I have. So first, what are some of the challenges to being a young sugar maker? You mentioned access to, to land as being one barrier. Are there other challenges to getting into the industry as a younger person?
2: Yeah, first and foremost is your wallet. Unfortunately, everything in the maple industry has made a really big switch here in the last 10 years that everything needs to be 100% food grade, which entails stainless steel and a lot more expensive materials, concrete and washable floors, and just all around a more food safe environment. I definitely, as a sugar maker, believe in that. I think that it's important that we, we handle the product with care and treat it as a food product because it is. Whereas if you go back 50 to 100 years ago, things weren't always like that. The biggest thing was that you could get a a pan soldered, and then we found out the the impacts of uh, potential lead poisoning. So now we have stainless welded pans. So there's definitely like the barrier to entry. Another obstacle that I think many of us face would be the knowledge. For a, a business owner like ourselves, I have to have knowledge all the way from the chemistry of maple syrup to how to work in the woods and install the woods and be safe, as well as learning about the marketing and all the channels of distribution. It's kind of a a unique entrepreneurial track where you're involved in a little bit of everything because there's not an opportunity to specialize in just one thing. But I also seek it as an opportunity because there's times where you get to see where in our business we're lacking and you can take the weakest link and make it one of your strongest links. And the last challenge I think that I have as a young sugar maker, especially what I've realized here over the last four or five years where I've started to pay attention, I'm usually the youngest one at the table by probably 20 years. And it creates a unique conversation dynamic. Sometimes what I say isn't taken the same way as if somebody else were to say it. But I think that it's been a goal of mine to prove to my sugar maker peers that age means absolutely nothing in this industry. That it's, it's your knowledge and your ability to listen and your ability to learn. But most importantly, respecting that we both you know, are involved in the maple industry and both are sugar makers, all for the same reason. We love what we do.
1: Yeah, those are some significant challenges that you mentioned, especially regarding access to capital and things like that. And also the, the knowledge that's required, as you mentioned, it's making maple syrup is not a simple task and it requires knowledge in a whole range of different fields. And I think we all have a responsibility to foster the development of the next generation of sugar makers by sharing that knowledge. And it's great to have people like you that kind of bridge that gap as a young sugar maker. So in addition to the challenges, do you see any advantages of being a young person in the industry?
2: Oh, I think there's a ton of advantages. And that's part of my life course is that the advantages outweighed the disadvantages, right? So for me, coming back home, you know, you spotted on with my degree in business, I was able to create a really unique network where I now have an index of people that I can reach out to for just about any kind of problem that I see with our business. But right now, where I see the most advantages is that there's a lot of groundbreaking technology being introduced into the industry. And there's a lot of people that don't, they don't really know how to take it. They don't know whether to participate or to sit back and kind of watch it. And For me, I've really benefited from the advantage of being able to see other similar industries and kind of how they disperse technology and how they've rolled out their technology. I mean, all the way from how you would set up a woodlaw with your pipeline system all the way to the sugar house and so on and so forth. So I see that as a huge advantage because right now at 22, I've been able to be in probably over 400 sugar houses across the country. And you can always learn something from someone. I've learned at least one thing from every single sugar maker and sugar house that I've been in. And now at this age, I'm able to apply some of it here at home. And hopefully down the road, we can use all of those skills to our advantage and continue to help people. So that's a, that's a really huge advantage. And is the biggest thing with the industry, as you know, Aaron, right now, a lot of people are learning about maple syrup and learning about its health benefits, but also learning how they have a lot easier access to it. Thankfully, with the United States Postal Service and all of our shipping companies, we can get maple syrup distributed all over the world. It didn't used to be like that 50 years ago.
1: So it sounds like you have both the advantage of some fresh perspectives, but also you've had the opportunity to engage in some knowledge transfer, which is something that our industry really benefits from. And you've experienced that both by visiting other sugar houses, and, and you've been exposed to other agricultural industries as well, correct?
2: Yeah, absolutely. From being at Cornell and living with other ag science students, I was able to take multiple trips to my buddy's farms and learn about a variety of different industries.
1: Did you find valuable lessons in seeing those other industries, things that could maybe apply to maple?
2: Yeah. Uh, the one industry that I really have decided to pay a close eye on is definitely the dairy industry. It's kind of interesting when you look at the scalability of them. Growing up in the area where I am in Delaware County, the average farm is quite small. And when you, you know, you heard three, 400 cows, it was, you know, that was a big dairy farm. So that scope for me with maple was very similar before I got older, where for us, we were the biggest. And then that scope got a lot bigger and I was able to go to other sugar houses, visit some in Canada and even up north in Vermont, Maine and New Hampshire and it got to the point where some producers are in the numbers of over 100,000 taps. And that was really earth-shattering to me. And it's the same with the dairy industry. There's dairy farms that have over 9,000, 10,000 cows and that's just at one location, right? So what's interesting is you say, okay, if the dairy industry was able to do that, you know, is there a, a model there that the maple industry could follow?
1: Right? Yeah, that's interesting that there's those parallels, although I think I'd rather take care of trees than cows, personally.
2: Yes, trees are a lot nicer and they won't kick you back.
1: Right, you can go on vacation and they're fine.
2: Right, right. And I think that's, uh, me and my buddies, I always joke that the the one thing that I learned is that I'm glad I'm not a dairy farmer.
1: (laughs) Right. So you've put your finger on something earlier. You said you felt like there is a lot of opportunity for growth in the maple industry, I'm wondering if you can share your vision for where the maple industry could be in the next five or 10 years or any trends that you find particularly exciting. Yeah, if
2: you shoot back a couple of years, the USDA always comes out with a statistic of what the average consumption of maple syrup per capita is. And that number, my entire childhood, was always less than two ounces, which is a very small amount when you think about it, especially when you take up here where people are potentially consuming maple syrup every week. Mm-hmm. So it was of my interest to know what would happen if we took New York state and we wanted everybody's yearly consumption to be a half a pint. So then I said, okay, so let's do the math. How many trees would you have to tap to produce the number of syrup to feed everybody in New York state, a half a pint of syrup for an entire year, which is very reasonable, right? hmm And after doing my calculation, I was in awe because there wasn't enough syrup being made in New York State to even come close to that number. So what that told me was that there's a huge opportunity. If we can convey to the consumer the importance and the value of maple syrup and why it's important to include it in your diet, for us as sugar makers, we will never be able to tap enough trees. It's always kind of funny when you talk to people up in Vermont about 10% of maple trees in Vermont are tapped. However, when you look at New York State's number, it's far less than that. It's less than 0.01%.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Partially because of the Adirondack Park and some of your forever wild lands that are not tapped. But where I saw that is a huge opportunity. So for us here at home, it's always kind of funny when you're you're driving down the road and you're like, I wonder who owns that? I wonder if they, you know... If if we would ever be able to buy that or lease those taps or, you know, if they let us tap those trees. And slowly, I would like to get to that number of feeding New York State a half a pint of syrup per capita. And I definitely think that we're, we're on the right track. And I don't know if we'll achieve that goal in five years, but in 10 years, it's definitely a tangible goal.
1: So that's a really interesting thought experiment. So a half a pint, we're talking about eight ounces, a cup of syrup, right? Correct. And that in my experience, at least the way I eat pancakes, that's, that's one breakfast. Right. So it's not a dramatic increase in consumption, but you're saying we would have to increase maple production significantly in New York just to meet that demand. Correct.
2: And I think that that's, it was a really interesting statistic, whether, you know, it's it's not always cut and dry like that. Like not all the syrup that's produced in New York is consumed in New York and vice versa with other states, but it was just, You know, forget about the United States, about trying to get everybody in the United States to increase their consumption, but why not here in our own home state?
1: Right. And that's just syrup. And there are so many other opportunities to use maple sugar and other things.
2: Yeah, absolutely. When you use it for your cooking and your baking, I mean, a lot of people are now using it on their desserts, putting in their coffee for sure.
1: Yeah. Well, that is an exciting trend. I, I like the fact that you thought through it that way and really quantified the opportunity.
2: Yeah. And I think I find myself going down uh, just to see, you know, like, hey, like, can I play this out in my head uh, to see what would happen? And I think that's why we've made a lot of the decisions that we have here at home. It's what kind of starts the ball rolling by asking ourselves, you know, what if?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that really illuminates why you identified Maple as a good business opportunity going forward. Yeah, absolutely. So, Damian, do you have any advice For other young folks who are interested in starting a maple business or getting involved as an employee at an existing business?
2: Yeah. So the biggest leap is going to be getting your education. And And it doesn't have to necessarily be in business, but just learning how to learn. The one challenge that you always have in the maple industry, and I think you can attest to this, Aaron, you never can learn everything there is to know about maple syrup. I've been involved with it theoretically for 22 years, and there's always stuff that makes absolutely no sense, but then you're always learning something new every day, whether it's you're learning it on your own, learning it from a research center like Cornell, or learning it from another sugar maker, such as, you know, old tales as to, you know, why next season's going to be good, right? So just learn. And the biggest thing is also creating that network in agriculture. You can learn a lot just by shadowing and following. If you're currently involved in a maple business and you want to increase your leadership role, I still think it's just as important to figure out how to not only master your position in the business, but also learn more about the maple industry as a whole and see where your business fits in that mix.
1: So those are great lessons, both for maple and life in general. Be a life learner and form good networks.
2: Right. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Great. Well, thanks so much for sharing your perspectives with us today, Damien.
2: Yeah, I'm really, really happy to be here. And I really appreciate the offer.
1: As we know, maple operations come in all shapes and sizes, ranging from commercial scale operations with tens of thousands of taps to small artisanal businesses employing traditional production techniques. After speaking with Damien, I turned to another young sugar maker for a different perspective. I first met Andrea Calori at a maple workshop in 2019. Since that time, she has expanded the role of maple products on her small farm in Massachusetts. Welcome Andrea to Sweet Talk. Thanks. And we're glad you could come on today. And your business is a little bit different than a lot of the maple businesses that I I deal with in the fact that you're a more diversified farm. So I was wondering if you could introduce yourself tell us a little bit about your business.
3: Sure. So my name is Andrea Colori. I am a, a farmer and artist in Western Massachusetts, located in Ashfield, Massachusetts in the Hilltowns. And my farm business is called Little Mouse Farm. And it's a totally interesting project, I like to say, if you will. But we have a farm store here in Ashfield, And well, I, I grow a few things. I make maple syrup. I raise dairy goats. It's it's a pretty small scale operation. We only have about three acres on the property. I collaborate with another woman who grows plants for plant medicine, tinctures and salves, things like that. But primarily at the farm, we make maple syrup, but I tap trees elsewhere in town. Um, we only have about four sugar maples on the property that are, you know, that you can actually tap. We do everything with a Miniature draft horse, which sounds really goofy and is pretty unusual. I'm not gonna lie, but since it's just such a small scale, it doesn't require a really large animal and uh, yeah, I raise dairy goats and I only make about probably about ten to twenty gallons of maple syrup a year. It's really I'm talking almost like backyard hobbyist scale, but it is a big part of What I sell in the farm store, I keep the product only to pints and half pints and it fits sort of this odd little farm in the hills that has, you know, we, I sell dairy goats. I actually don't sell the milk or cheese that I make for us. I I sell the animals and then I sell duck eggs. We sell chicken eggs. Um, We have a hoop house. We grow tomatoes and a few other vegetables. We have a little pick your own flower bed. And then we also sell uh, teas the plants that we grow on the property. And yeah, and then also some of my artwork I sell in the store. So it is a pretty, pretty diversified little farming operation. And uh, I do think that the maple part of it is a big component in the sense that people get pretty jazzed when they see it in the farm store. And it's a big part of my farming story, which I think in the end gets people excited about it.
1: So I'm hearing two different things there around maple. And one is that and correct me if I'm getting this wrong, but that maple draws people to your business. They're attracted to it as a product and that helps you sell other items?
3: Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, like uh, in our display in the farm store, I have the maple syrup prominently displayed with on each bottle, there's a little card that talks about my first year sugaring and how I used to go out and I attacked four trees my first year with buckets. And every day the goats and I would take a daily walk to check how much sap is in the buckets. (laughs) And they're the same goats that people can visit at the farm store. So it gets people like, yeah, they get really excited. Like, oh, that's like that girl who made maple syrup with goats, you know, and it sort of brings people to the store.
1: Right. So that that's the second part of it then is that it's part of your identity as a farmer and kind of informs the character of your business. And I was wondering if we could drill down on that a little bit from the perspective of how your business evolved I mean, where did you start and how did you end up with this diversified farm with maple as one of the components?
3: Yeah. So um, I have spent years, probably like 15 years doing various forms of agriculture. I did internships at Old Sturbridge Village, which is a 19th century uh, working village with two working farms in the property. So I learned originally how to raise livestock there. And then about Six years ago, I apprenticed at a goat dairy and got really into goats and then bought two goats on a whim, like a total whim. I didn't even, I don't even have um, my own property. Like I leased the farm and then I wasn't even leasing a farm. I kept them at the nonprofit where I worked and I had these two goats. And that same year, as I was interested in raising dairy goats, I have always been curious about making maple syrup. And I think that that comes from this sort of romantic, nostalgic perspective of sugaring and the culture of sugaring in New England, and I was working at a nonprofit at the time that had an old sugar maple LA that flanked what used to be a mansion. It was no longer there anymore, so it was just these two rows of maples. And I would ski by them on the property all the time. And you're like, huh? I wonder, I wonder if someone ever tapped those trees. And I looked all over them. There was no sign, and I found out that they were really planted as decoration. So I was put in touch with a sugarer in the town that I live in who had made maple syrup for about 40 years, Tom McCrum of South Face Farm. And we met one day and I was like, I kind of want to learn how to make maple syrup and tap trees. And he was amazing. I, that's my biggest advice I would say to any young sugar maker is to find a sugar maker near you who's been doing it for a long time, who can really mentor you. He really mentored me quite a bit. I owe a lot to him.
1: So you had never made maple syrup at all prior to this?
3: No, I grew up in the Bronx in New York city. I like do not come from a farming family. I grew up eating uh, Aunt Jemima maple syrup on pancakes. Like there was no, no real syrup in my life. In fact, I remember my dad once bought us at Old Sturbridge Village, these maple candies and we were like, whoa, this is crazy. Like it was so special. I remember thinking that it was like a really special once a, once a year treat. Anyway, Tom showed me how to tap a tree. And I tapped those four, I tapped four of those trees that are a part of the LA with a bitten brace that I bought at an antique tool shop.
1: <laughs> oh, that's a good workout. I grew up tapping with a bitten brace as well.
3: <laughs> I, I actually tried to tap trees with it last year, like 200 trees. I don't recommend that. That was mm-hmm. a whole lot. <laughs> I sugar at work. I work at a farm as well, part-time. We I mean, make a lot of maple syrup there, but... Yeah, I, I did that. And I bought buckets from um, a guy who was a part of the Mass Maple Producers Association. I remember he just left them on his porch and I drove by and left the cash for four buckets and lids. And yeah, I tapped those trees. And every day I went out and and like I said before, I checked them with the goats. We did our daily walks. And and then I had, you know, like what a lot of people start out doing, the lasagna tray <laughs> set up mm-hmm. over a fire. But I made a quart. And I don't know, it's, ma- it's magic. Everyone who does it knows that. Like as soon as you do it, you're like, oh my God, this is, this is pretty amazing. And I wanted to learn more. And so Tom like recommended conferences to me. He recommended the maple camp at Cornell. I ended up buying an evaporator. You know, everyone talks about it's a disease. You get bit by this bug and you can't stop. I mean, that's very true. I think you just sort of get really into it. And I, I think as far as being a farmer, one thing I liked about maple syrup, as opposed to, you know, originally I wanted to have a creamery and make cheese, but it's such a hard agricultural product to get into and requires a lot of work. Not to say that maple syrup doesn't, it really does too. But raising livestock is a whole beast on its own. And um, doing it on that scale and then dealing with with milk, health and safety is a really challenging and expensive component. Maple syrup is is just a wonderful entry to farming. It's so inviting and welcoming and the industry is so inviting and welcoming. I mean that's the one thing I found. I would, you know, stop by a sugar house that first year and just knock on the door and, you know, the sugar would just show me around and talk maple syrup with me. And I just, the, the availability of learning opportunity is is quite vast. And I found that really just, just so accessible. So it got me thinking that I liked the product and I loved the story around it. That was, I think the thing that sort of from a marketing perspective, I was like, we aren't marketing this enough. <laughs> like we need to market it in a different way. and 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 also it's My generation is really interested in this idea of like sense of place and terroir, like wine and cider, hard cider has become a really big thing. And to me, I'm like, oh no, maple syrup is the original terroir here. Like we need to capitalize on this. That's, that's what I want my story to be about. You know, when you get like a quart of maple syrup from your local sugar house, you are not just buying like this food product, but you are buying this time capsule of a season. It's a vintage in many ways.
1: So it sounds like you're saying that your perspective is informed by you being a young farmer in terms of your market sensibilities and how you value the product is Is that a valid statement?
3: I think so. I think you know I value the product in a different way than I would say like a couple of generations before me it 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 has this like this gourmet food item feel to it, and it has this really interesting, nostalgic component that I think people find appealing. It's authentic. Like it has this authenticity that when I decided that I wanted to really farm, I loved that aspect of maple syrup so much that they wanted it to be an important part of my farm story. I think it it really does inform like all the other aspects of farming. I mean, I got the horse to do some small scale work on the farm, like hauling um, a stone boat of manure and things like that. but. Just the other day, I went to scope out what trees on the property we could tap with a bucket just so that I can use the horse to do this wow. draft powered sugaring experiment this year. But
1: So why do you think that is? Why do you think there are these perhaps generational differences or perspectives? And I ask that in a way where I don't want to take away from the old timers who have taught us so much, but what do you think drives that difference in perspectives and what kind of like learning opportunities do we have where we can learn from each other?
3: Yeah, oh, I don't want to take away old timers either because they've taught me everything I know. I think it's, it's just, it's more that I think I'm responding to a market taste, like, like a change in market, right? So now, you know, my generation has this interest in buying commodity that feels authentic, right? And so you can see that actually with maple syrup in terms of packaging, that more people seem to be wanting syrup packaged in tin or syrup packaged in a glass bottle as opposed to the jug. And it it might go, it'll change, I'm sure,
1: in the future. And as you're talking, I'm thinking about the marketplace and the trends in agriculture in the 50s and 60s, where there was this drive to increase production through mechanization and chemical fertilizers and things like that. And I'm wondering if that's kind of what pushes some of the older perspectives and then you're kind of going backwards with, with the horse and doing more manual labor.
3: Yeah. Okay. I think my generation of farmers, or some of them, I can't speak for all of them, but I definitely, out where I live right now, is, is really interested in minimal fossil fuels, more hand scale, you know, in terms of vegetable ag, no till, or farming with draft power. Um, there's definitely this interest in in looking backwards at older technology. the The trade-off with the older technology that I've noticed, obviously, is that you don't produce as much. And I think that that's where having a diverse farming operation comes into play if you're going to do syrup because I mean, there's no way you'll make a living off of how much syrup I produce personally and even where I work, I mean, I can't imagine that even producing a, a living. But if it's a part of, a diverse farming operation, it's doable. There's this interest I've noticed in, you see the word small scale thrown around a lot as being like a very niche sort of, oh, it's from a small scale farm. Like that's, I think it's what people used to think of like the family farm, right? Like, oh, it's, you know, we know those folks and there's a familiarity and like this idea that when you're buying maple syrup, say for me, You know that it's me and the goats and the evaporator outside in this town. There's this interest in connection that I think this generation is is curious about. And it extends to other parts of what they're interested in purchasing. I mean, there's a lot of interest in like artisanal, or now there's like this interest in buying vintage. So there's like this element of curiosity about the past and wanting to interact with it things that are handmade or done on a hand scale. And I think it's also a response in terms of like the climate change crisis or, you know, what's, what's just happening in terms of sustainability and how we're moving forward. Yeah, it's interesting. We move, we're move, we moving forward and looking backwards while moving forward.
1: <laughs> I wonder if a lot of people are interested in your product and your business because they're sort of living vicariously through you. You're doing something they wish they were doing, although maybe they wouldn't hold up under the strains of all the manual labor, but it's a nice story that they can wrap their head around and feel good about.
3: It's true, I mean, like they, it it is very, I, I've actually received that. I think, you know, that's the beauty of social media too, is like you post all these pictures of like, you know, me out there with the goats, like pouring a, a bucket of sap into another bucket. Everyone's like, oh my God, you lived the life, which I mean, yeah, I think, I do, I do. I think I lived the life, I love it. Like I wouldn't trade it for anything, but yeah, it does take a lot of hard work. There, there also is this like new, what I've noticed in the last two years in particular, desire to be outside, to be in tune with nature, to want to connect with the natural world. And maple syrup is a wonderful avenue for that because, you know, once you tell people, yeah, this comes from trees, it's like, what? that's crazy. You'd be surprised how many people don't know that. Like a a point of reference, a point of connection.
1: It it really means something. Right. And I, I see a lot of merit in that. We live in the most prosperous nation in the history of the planet. And yet people feel like their lives aren't that rich in quality sometimes, if that makes sense. And I know for me personally, I would rather be out in the woods in three feet of snow than sitting in a cubicle under the fluorescent lights. And There's definitely a lot of appeal in that. And I I think one of the takeaway lessons from what you're saying for maple producers in general is just the absolute power of our story through the generations, the connection with the land, connection with culture, history, feeling good about the labor that you do. And I think you're kind of living that out and embody that, that part of the maple experience. On the flip side of that, what are some of the challenges you face, especially coming into this uh, as a younger farmer?
3: Yeah. Oh, there's so many let's see I think you know not coming from a farming family like being what they call a first generation farmer has definitely made it challenging just because land access I think is really hard that's another reason why I think maple syrup is just a wonderful agricultural venture because you can lease a sugar orchard from someone and usually there's folks in in rural areas who are interested in having someone tap their trees so I do think it's 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 accessible that way well, you have to transport your sap which is a whole other issue but yeah i think land access is challenging i think you know infrastructure costs are always a hard part of of farming especially when you're doing it on a small scale and uh, you're trying to make a living it's you know it's really hard to to be able to have enough capital to get yourself going um those first few years i mean that's why you know when you ask me about how i got started i mean Everyone's hearing like this one, lovely little idyllic story of me out here in Western Mass with this cute little farm and all that. But it has been like five years in the making and it started with like literally just buying two goats and, and hoping for the best. And it's it's not until now that like I've been able to do all of this or, you know, start with syrup starting with that little lasagna tray. Yeah, it takes a while just to to chip away at it if you're working full time. Another challenge, I would say, probably is health insurance. I think that's a big challenge for a lot of young farmers. Like, where are you going to get it? You know, you're if you're starting to work for yourself and you don't have a spouse. I think that that's always you know, there's some hard administrative avenues that you have to figure out and navigate. But I do think that there's a lot of resources out there, more than we know sometimes, of grant opportunities, nonprofits that can provide technical assistance. I mean, there really is a lot of resources for folks.
1: Do you ever get in over your head on anything? Have you been tempted to give up at any point or you, I mean you're still here it's 5 years 5 years in.
3: Yeah. I think yeah, sometimes I I wish I could take like a proper vacation although I figured it out this year. I found people I trained to like milk the goats and do some things. I think with the maple syrup I every year I'm like I'm going to, everyone does this, right? I'm going to tap more trees there's always one more tree to tap. There's always like that one tree across a little brook that you're like, that's the one I'm going to go get it. And then when you're collecting, you're like, why did I put that tree? Like
1: the, the one at the top of the steepest hill, right? It looked great in October when there was no snow.
3: <laughs> exactly. No, I know. It's so funny. I think that's sometimes where I feel like I might get in over my head just because it's, it's really just me, especially during sugaring season. This year I have a better plan for how I'm going to handle sugaring season, but like collecting the sap, like I have to go and pick up the sap and boil it at home. And my evaporator is not covered. So I'm outside. That gets wearing after a while. I'm sure a lot of people who boil outside, you know, you, you get tired of it. It's cold. Last year, I definitely had more sap than I wanted to boil. I felt like I, I had to like pull the plug. It's hard to pull the plug. It really is. I just want to keep going. And I had to pull the plug at one point.
1: You're describing a very natural learning curve that... All of us go through as maple producers and farmers. And it, it's really fun to hear the steps in your journey and see familiarity in those. I think we've all been at these different stages of uh, running into problems, trying to solve the problems, being overly ambitious at times. So, you're a young farmer. You could conceivably be in this business for many decades. So, looking ahead into the future, what kind of trends, especially related to maple production, do you find promising or interesting?
3: The trend that I think that I'm really excited about has nothing to do with so much the industry as from the production end. As much as I've seen this growing interest from our customers or audience in doing it at home, and I think that there is like a huge niche market for at-home maple production and how do we as sugarers find a way to be involved with that. So like this year, I want to offer a tap, tapping your backyard tree workshop at my farm, because I think the more people do it and see what's involved in it, not only will they be jazzed about the product, but they'll really value the product as it goes up in price over the next you know, few decades and just like anything will. But I, I think that there will be a real reverence for for what we're doing. And I think that there's a way to incorporate that into what we're putting out there in terms of product and education did that kind of answer your question
1: yeah absolutely and I to your last point I've heard different viewpoints on that where some maple producers are think no let's not we don't want everyone making maple syrup then they won't buy our product but it seems like the more common scenario is people want to try it especially during the pandemic they had time and they hung a few buckets they made maple syrup They thought it was amazing. They got hooked on the flavor of real syrup, but also realized they don't have time to do this every year. And and then they go out looking to buy it the next season. So I, I don't think there's such a thing as bad publicity from that standpoint right now. I mean, the more exposure people have to real maple syrup, the more they want to buy.
3: I think so. To speak to the other point you had mentioned, it reminded me of, I remember talking to a friend of mine who's a chef at the beginning of the pandemic when everyone was on like the bread baking craze.
1: Sourdough, right?
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Everyone's like, "Oh my god," we're, like sourdough bread is the thing, and everyone's baking bread. And I first thought, "Oh no!" Like everyone's becoming great bread bakers. They're not going to go to local bakeries or restaurants anymore, or like they're just they're going to cook more at home, and the restaurants are going to suffer and the food industry. And I remember this chef friend of mine said. On the contrary, they're going to value how it's made now. They're going to go to a restaurant post-pandemic and be like, yeah, there's a lot of work that goes into making the sourdough bread. And, and I think that, again, goes back to what we were talking about earlier with like my generation valuing this idea of authenticity and connection to food, to place, to the people that make uh, both place and food. And maple is like the perfect food product for those three things. People love going to the sugar house for their pancake breakfast, not just because they get to eat the pancakes, but like my dad, I took him a couple of years ago, first time ever he'd seen an evaporator, a wood-fired evaporator. He sat there for like an hour watching it. There's so much that could be done and is being done. I think there are people who are really, who are capitalizing on it, but there's more, I think, that, that we can do.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. And that's something that perhaps those of us like me who grew up in the country or grew up making maple syrup don't fully grasp sometimes is just how much is packed into maple besides just the product, the mystique, the cultural connections, the sense of place. If you're coming from an urban background and you walk into a sugar house, all those things come at you at once. And it's such a amazing experience and feeling. And I think because of your background and being a young farmer too, you have a a sensibility toward that.
3: Yeah, it's, you know, it's funny. I think about when I talk to my relatives in Italy, like for them, it's such a unique North American thing, right? Like they're fascinated by it. They want a bottle of it when I go. It's, yeah, it's like so specific to this area. It also makes me think there's this great book by Brad Ketzler. So in it, he talks about going to France to learn cheese making from this woman. And he brings for a gift maple syrup. And there's this wonderful description of how he's in the airport in France. And he notices that everyone around him, as they're walking, they're all like picking up their shoes and like, what is good? like something sticky on the floor? And he goes, there's my suitcase rolling behind me, leaving a trail of North American terroir. I <laughs> love that. <laughs> that's
1: a that's a fun anecdote. And- We'll have to wrap it up for now, but perhaps we can talk about this more some other time.
3: Yeah, sounds great. This was a blast, Erin. Thanks for having
1: me. Thanks for being on the show. So that was really interesting to hear two very different perspectives from young sugar makers. One who comes from an established sugar making family coming in with new ideas and a new approach. And another who's just getting into sugaring from a very different background there are a couple things that struck me, Adam. I mean, I think the first was the energy and new ideas that both of these young sugar makers have. And that's important for the industry, right?
0: Yeah, of course. And, you know, it's exciting that there are these opportunities for young sugar makers to come into the industry and bring these new ideas to really push the industry forward. But what are some of the challenges you think that are out there for these young sugar makers? Yeah, I think that
1: those were touched upon in the interview. Making maple syrup requires a lot of resources and knowledge, land being the biggest one. And land's expensive right now. Let's face it, prices are up for land just like everything else. So access to capital, to land, and also training, those are all challenges that young sugar makers face. But we've got resources
0: to deal with some of those, correct? Yeah, I mean, you know, the reason why we have this podcast, plus all of our other resources within the Cornell Maple Program and workshops that we do, certainly provide that training aspect, but the the access to the land and capital is certainly a challenge. And I think that's not just within the maple industry, but a lot of agricultural practices, you know, unless you're coming from that family operation that you're inheriting something or able to buy at a lower price, it is certainly a challenge that we have to deal with. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And just like other industries, it's really important that we devote resources toward fostering new sugar makers and young farmers just so that we can keep these businesses going and keep growing. And and most importantly, we need to evolve. As the maple industry, we're a maturing industry now. And it's really important that we diversify our product lines, come up with new marketing ideas and things like that. And I think the young sugar makers play a really key role in that.
0: Yeah, for sure. You know, that next generation is going to be just pushing that industry forward even more. And I think it's, you know, it's exciting, as you said, that it's a, you know, a maturing industry, but it's not an industry on the decline, you know, that there is that opportunity for growth. You know, there are new products that could be developed out of maple. And so we're not kind of at that brink where, you know, there's so much competition that it's hard to get into from a marketing standpoint.
1: Yeah, I agree. So it'll be really interesting to see what these two sugar makers that we talked to today and other young sugar makers do over the next 10, 15 years.
0: Yeah, I can't wait to follow up with them in the future. Thank you for joining us for Sweet Talk, All Things Maple with Aaron and Adam. Sweet Talk is produced by the Cornell Maple Program and is made possible from funding from the USDA National Institute of Food and Agriculture. All music was obtained from Blue Dot Sessions. For more information on all things maple, visit cornellmaple.com. Join us next time for more maple sweet talk. Have a sweet day.